You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? This is the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrero from Niners Nation, alongside Brandon Lee Gowden of Bleeding Green Nation. This is our special trade deadline edition, but there were basically no deals, so it's going to be a regular edition, Brandon. Definitely lackluster. We waited intensely to record this episode later uh, to, to see if there's any big news. Of course, I feel like if we recorded earlier in the day, there probably would have been a lot of big news. So you can probably blame us for there not being a lot of NFL trades. Uh, So really, that leaves the most exciting thing to happen this week, Stats, as me invading the Monday Football Monday podcast and uh, surprising RJ and ripping the Cowboys. So if you didn't listen to that, uh, go do that. That can make up for the lack of excitement at the trade deadline. People will definitely... Now, this is our time. Oh yeah, once you're done listening to this, of course. The Dolphins did make two trades. Uh, there are a bunch of players that you don't know that you've never heard of because we've never heard of them either. And so we're not going to talk about them because <laughs> who cares? Um, but they there were two deals. They were by the Dolphins. They traded a wide receiver to the Patriots, and then they traded a run. They traded for a running back from the Chiefs. But uh, so what? My big question to you is why don't you think we saw any moves? I think it has to be the COVID thing has to be a factor because like you're not getting these guys like anyone you trade for unlike a normal season isn't going to be able to play this week for sure and then so then you're getting him next week at best but even then might be you know a stretch because he's not even getting into the building until the next week anyway so I think that's definitely a factor and then money obviously an issue as well with the cap situation looking uncertain moving forward. It's not like they're going to be a lot of these big blockbuster deals that involve a lot of money. So, uh, you know, those were probably two big factors. And then the NFL trade deadline isn't like, you know, like the NBA trade deadline or even the MLB trade deadline. Usually, you know, it's just, it's not typically as active as those ones. It has been a little bit more in recent years, but you know, it's, it's not typically historically like this major blockbuster event. That's very true. And I think part of that is how the salary cap works. It's not like the NBA, where as long as the money matches up, you could just trade guys no problem. Like there's cap ramifications for all of that stuff. So it's always dicey. But we held out hope that there might be a cool deal made, uh, you know, maybe next year. Who knows? But there are a couple teams that I think should have made deals. And I I really think that they dropped the ball, quite honestly, even though even with all those ramifications. And I want to get to them here. And the first are the Green Bay Packers. Because, I mean, I just don't get it with the Green Bay Packers. Like, are you ever going to invest in your team? You, right now, you have BLG on the BleedingGreenNation.com power rankings. They're seventh right now. The, everything was right there for the Packers this season. And they just continually cannot do what they need to do to get more weapons for Aaron Rodgers in the passing game. They don't make a deal for Will Fuller. 
Diana Rossini had a tweet about how there was disagreement in the Packers organization about whether it was worth it or not to go and trade for a wide receiver. Like, what are you waiting for? How could it not be worth it? Can you explain this to me? Yeah, I mean, this is Aaron Rodgers you have here. Like, this is your window. Like, uh, what are you doing? You're, you're really just like kind of, uh, it's like you're hedging here. Like, you're kind of sitting on the fence between Aaron Rodgers and giving him an opportunity to maximize his window and then like gearing up for the future with Jordan Love. Like, no. Um, now, with that said, stats, you know, if they do trade for Will Fuller or um, uh, who else is, what's his name? Uh, Kenny Stills is escaping me. Uh, like what uh, why i dropped them this week in my power rankings i moved them down from seven to six is still a big issue for them and something a wide receiver trade wouldn't fix is that poor run defense and dalvin cook just running all over them in uh in green bay and uh obviously you saw that uh undo the packers season last year firsthand when the packers came to san francisco so uh so even if they did do that still a, a very flawed team and a really big issue there yeah, but aren't you the guy that says defense doesn't matter, right? With Russell Wilson, it doesn't matter in Seattle. So go all in on offense if you're Green Bay. Look, listen to this. Devontae Adams has 43 catches for 502 yards and seven touchdowns on the year. All the other Packers receivers combined have 38 catches for 622 yards and four touchdowns on the year. Like, at some point, you got to help him out. And you had your chance last year in the draft to draft a wide receiver in the best wide receiver draft we've seen in a decade, maybe more. And you pass there. And so now you have to spend resources to go get one at the trade deadline. And you don't want to spend those draft resources so you don't go get Will Fuller. Well, you're not taking a wide receiver in the draft anyway. So what the hell's the difference? Yeah, part of the thing, what I say about defense, though, there's like a threshold. You know, you have to like not be a total, absolute, pathetic joke against the run like the Packers have been. Uh, and a little bit more breaking news coming in here, stats from Albert Breer. He he says that the Packers and t- Texans did discuss a trade for Will Fuller, uh, but he was told that Green Bay wanted Houston to take on money and the sides couldn't agree on draft pick compensation. So again, kind of like I said earlier, like money was a factor here again. Uh, the Packers didn't want to take all of Will Fuller's contract on, um, which I think is a bad move for Houston at that point. Like take on the money and then get like you're you're in a spot where you need to like, you know, I mean, you don't need a new quarterback, but you need to rebuild a lot of the rest of that roster and you're lacking draft picks because you gave some up <laughs> in these trades that were foolish by Bill O'Brien to get, you know, uh Laramie Tumsel. Uh, you know, so the, the picks that they owe the Dolphins. So I think this is a missed opportunity by Houston here. This is stupid on both sides. Like Green Bay, what are you worried about? Like sometimes in life, you've got to overpay for stuff. Maybe it's because of prior decisions you've made, or maybe it's because of just a desperate need. But there are times in life, like when it's raining, umbrellas cost more money. That's just how it goes. <laughs> and guess what? For Green Bay, it's raining on your offense right now. You need another wide receiver. You could have had one cheap in the draft, but for some reason you decided not to do that. So now when it comes time to get one, you're going to have to pay a little more and you're not going to do that. And so now where are you? You're right back where you were last year. And what's going to happen to the Packers this year? We've seen this movie before. You said it, BLG. They're not going to be able to score enough points on offense. They're going to get run over on defense. And Aaron Rodgers is going to be ticked off again, sitting at home and during the Super Bowl, drinking his scotch. Uh, You would hate to see that, I'm sure. Well, I mean, it's personally wouldn't bother. Actually, I would like to see that because then maybe he could wind up on the 49ers next year. But that's Mm. not the point here. The point here is the Packers and the Texans both need to get out of their own way. 
And you you pointed it out. The Texans, look, I mean, they just keep making bad decision after bad decision. They're, they're stacking the bad decisions in Houston. They are. I mean, like, again, it's just money. Like, it's, it's, it's take on the money and get the draft picks. Like, again, you you lack picks. They don't have what? Like, a first and a second this year because of those trades? Like, you need yep. more assets. And, like, look, look at that roster. Uh, they need to give Deshaun Watson more help and t- build a team around him. So, yeah, pretty bad deal on them on their side. Uh, stats, The who is who are your other losers at the deadline? My other loser, and it's the same position, are the Baltimore Ravens. And I thought you saw a perfect illustration of it this week against the Steelers, right? So they're driving down at the end of the game. They need a touchdown. And Lamar Jackson, in the first instance, with about four and a half minutes to go, he keeps the ball himself in the red zone and he tries to make a play. And to me, the reason why is he's their best option. Who is the go-to guy for the Baltimore Ravens when you think of somebody that can catch a pass? Like, they don't have one. He was clearly their best option. And then later in the game, they get the ball back and they're hurrying down the field. And I'm thinking, okay, there's four seconds left. They got one more shot at the end zone. Like, who are you going to? And Lamar throws a pass to freaking Willie Sneed and it got broken up. Like, that's not, you got to do better than that if you're Baltimore. You know, you brought in Des Bryant, who hasn't played in like years. That's not going to be the answer to your problem. You need to go out and get a guy. And they didn't do it. And I feel like that they're not doing their quarterback any favors either. It was interesting, too, because there was a report that prior to Zach Ertz getting hurt, uh, the Ravens had called about him. And obviously, with the Eagles putting him on injured reserve, he couldn't be traded at that point. Uh, so maybe if he had stayed healthy, that would have been a deal that they would have made. And that would have been really big for Lamar to have another trusty tight end in there, uh, a guy who can help them move the chains and be reliable. Uh, didn't happen. Uh, I moved the Ravens up one spot in my power rankings this week's stats, uh, you know, cause I, I, I was hard on them last week. I moved them down yeah, uh, you were. a few spots of so the bye week Well, look, I told you, I, I, I slacked this to you a little peek behind the curtain here after the game on Sunday. I said, I look, it's not my fault that I know the future. And I saw the Ravens <laughs> were going to lose and, you know, I had to move them down. Now with that said, uh, I can't crush Baltimore here because like they hung in, they had a chance to win at the end against the NFL's only undefeated team. And they moved the ball pretty well on that tough Pittsburgh defense. They had what, like something 400 something yards almost reached 500 Uh, pretty good stuff, uh, you know, for, for being in a loss. But to me, I I don't want to put this all on Lamar because obviously he was a reason they were in that game, but like eventually here stats like Lamar is going to have to come up big in a really big moment because he hasn't done that in his career. And I think a little of that can be overblown because everyone was saying that about Carson Wentz before, before he had some game winning drives this uh, the past year in 2019 and then even a couple this year uh, and like said he couldn't be clutch well you can't until you, you 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 do it and then you prove it so I don't think it's that Lamar doesn't have the clutch gene or anything like that but like eventually he is gonna have to come up big in a really big spot and he had four turnovers in this one including a pick six like that's just not good enough yeah he didn't play his best game for sure and you're right we totally do that with everybody oh you can't win the big one john elway can't win the big one until he wins back-to-back super bowls tragic johnson remember they used to call magic johnson tragic johnson the guy has like five titles in his freaking career maybe even more i'm not even sure but like it you know we always do that stupid game of course no one does it until they do that's everything in life you don't do it until you do like i've never ridden a bike before and then what happens you learn how to ride a bike I don't, but most people know how to ride one. You don't know how to uh, ride a bike? No, I do not know how that's, to ride a bike. That's crazy. Here's the thing. There's a window there, right? Like there's a there's a window between like what, four and six years old that if you don't learn, 
Like you just look, I drove a car at 16. Like there's no need to go back to, to riding a bike. So it just, it didn't happen for me. Hmm. That's interesting. I, that's crazy to me. I feel like, what would you do if you had to do it? Like, what if you, what if you had to ride a bike for some reason, like it was what? an emergency situation. In what scenario could I be in where my only option is to ride a bike? I think that's possible. You could be in like a foreign country. I don't know. Maybe you're trying to like get away from a natural disaster or like, I don't know, whatever. You see you see a bike, you have to get on it. You're hopping out. I don't know. It, you'd be, so you just couldn't do anything. You'd be doomed. Get away from a natural disaster? What am I yeah. going to pedal away from a tornado on my Schwinn? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know about that one. All right. Look, I'm sorry. That was it was the window. I, I missed it, and I'll never know the joy of of using my body to propel me forward in some sort of mechanized machine. All right. Any other losers or win or winner? I mean, there can't really be any winners, but there are any other losers for you from the trade deadline. Those are my two. I would put the Eagles as winners just because they didn't make a move, and that's a win to me because there was some talk that they were going to be buyers and like maybe delude themselves into like, oh, we can win the NFC East. Like we have a shot at this thing. So I was kind of worried about that. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, go like leaps and bounds and give them a ton of credit for that. But, uh, you know, that's good to see like a team not not being super delusional. Now I could knock them for not being sellers, but again, kind of tough there. I'll give them somewhat of a break. You know, Deshaun Jackson, they could have sold him, should have sold him, went an IR, couldn't. Zach Hertz could have, should have sold him, went an IR, kind of just some bad luck there. Um, but yeah, nothing really else around the uh, around the, the national landscape. Okay, so there you have our winners and losers from the 2020 trade deadline. Good. Uh, now let's go over to Monday Night Football because we usually lead the podcast with reaction to that. We did a little differently today, obviously. But the Bucks get a win over the Giants. It was close, but they got a win. And I had a chance earlier today to catch up with Evan Winter of BucksNation.com for a little insight into what happened in this game and where the Bucks stand in the NFC. Buccaneers get a narrow, and I mean narrow, victory on Monday Night Football, 25-23 over the New York Giants. And to help me break this one down and sort of take a bigger picture look at the Buccaneers, I'm very happy to be joined by Evan Winter from Bucks Nation. How are you doing, Evan? Doing well. A little, Still a little on edge from last night, but like you said, thank goodness for Antoine Winfield Jr.'s forearm. So as long as we've still got that going, uh, it's, it's a good morning. Just for full disclosure, when I emailed Evan and asked him to come on the show, I said, look, we're not going to talk much about the Monday night game. We'll get into sort of bigger picture things about the Bucs season because I thought the Bucs were going to run the Giants out of the building. Like, I didn't even think this game was going to be close. And I mean, we are literally a two point conversion away from a tie game. And who knows what could have happened? And if to be honest, if Daniel Jones throws the the pass on time, a a two point conversion, they might have scored. But as it is. The Bucs narrowly escaped, but what happened in this one? How was it so close? You got to give a ton of credit to the Giants, man. They came out ready to play. They had a good game plan. Coming into this game, I talked about it on my game preview uh, for Bucks Nation, is the Giants have a really good defense. Well, maybe not really, but they have a solid defense. And if this offense could just give them a little bit of momentum, give them a little bit of breathing room, then it could be a top 10 unit. There's a lot of things they like. They get after the quarterback. They can stop the run. They've got James Bradbury back there, obviously. We saw him last night. So they came out with a good game plan. Bruce Arians talked about it after the game. The Bucs came out flat. They got caught off guard. A lot of people were wondering if this would be, in fact, a look-ahead game. 
And honestly, I just think the Giants played really, really well, and the Bucks made just enough plays at the end of the day to uh, to pull one out. Honestly, the Giants were the better team. If Daniel Jones hits some of those open receivers, uh, granted, now the Giants were in this game because of him as well, so I don't want to take too much away from him. But if if he makes those plays, we're talking about a whole different ball game. So hats off to the Giants; they did a hell of a job. Tom Brady appeared frustrated multiple times during the game last night, and he's doing his Brady thing where he's slamming helmets and screaming on the sideline. Like, it's one thing for him to do that in New England, and Patriot fans are just used to it. But this is his first year in Tampa Bay. What, what do you, what's your reaction when you see that from him? I don't mind it. I like seeing the energy. I like seeing the passion. Everybody describe, everybody expresses themselves in certain ways. But as long as he's not throwing, you know, hissy fits like kicking goalposts and stuff like that on the sideline then, you know, there's there's always context to everything. And there was a lot of frustration, um, especially with me on with the coaching staff and running the ball on first down. I, I get it. It helps set up plays on down the line. You want to establish the run. But at the same time, you have to have some level of creativity in doing this, especially in this day and age. And the Bucks had 14 carries for 33 yards on first down compared to like over 80% passing. I think it was 12 to 15, something like that. Um, for over 150 yards and two touchdowns through the air on first down. There was at one point Tampa Bay like had like 11 of 12 passes um, on first down and they had 13 points during that span, but then they ran the ball three straight times after that. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it just, I don't really understand, but um, obviously Brady's probably has a whole another level of frustration, but there were certainly moments last night where I can understand why people were just kind of wondering what the hell was going on. So the Bucks get the win. They are now six and two. You know, in prime position to possibly end up with the number one seed in the NFC. Things seem to be going well, and yet you're about to add Antonio Brown to the mix. <laughs> Here's my thing with Antonio Brown: the Bucks' offense is pretty good. They have good wide receivers. How much more does Antonio Brown really add to your team? It's insurance. At this point, um, you know, the move overall, you could question it all day long and completely valid. However, Chris Godwin, as we saw, didn't play last night. There's a chance he misses this game. And then there are even this is just rumors. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt. But there are even some who think he might miss three to four weeks instead of just this week and the Saints game or this last week and the Saints game. So with Godwin out. Antonio Brown fits right in. He can play inside, outside, all that other good stuff. You know, it's just obviously the huge, huge character concerns. And my biggest question with the whole thing is, because, you know, a lot of his incentives don't get approved unless the Bucks make the playoffs. Actually, none of his incentives are approved unless the, the Bucks make the playoffs. It's all based off what Tampa does as a team. Either way, though, if he still kills it over these last eight games and sets himself up with a good stat line, he will still be in line for a big contract next year. So is he really doing this to win games and show that he's on the redemption path? Or is he doing it for just one more big payday before he can cash out? Regardless, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes in terms of just adding a playmaker. Obviously, it's Antonio Brown. We've seen Gronk take a little bit to get acclimated. Don't know if that's going to be the same case with him. But if Brown gets rolling like Gronk is currently rolling around week 14, 15, 16, then all bets are off with this offense. When Bruce Arians said that Tom Brady had nothing to do with the signing of Antonio Brown, I said that was absolute bull and he's full of it. 
you follow the team a lot more closely than me. Am I right or am I wrong? You're absolutely right. <laughs> it's it's Bruce. He's He just says stuff like that. Obviously, he's going to take up for his guys. He's going to kind of put things on him if he needs to. I mean, that's what any good head coach would do. That's what any leader would do. There's absolutely no way you don't run this decision by Tom Brady and you don't factor in his input because this could divide the locker room. There are guys on this team who might not want Antonio Brown, but if there's one person who can pull everybody together and say, guys, trust me, we got this with him. I got this with AB. It's Tom Brady. There's just absolutely no way that Jason Light and Bruce Arians just sat down in Jason Light's office and was like, yeah, we're going to do this. You know, we're not going to talk to anybody else. So, yeah, man, you're you're 100% on track. And where's Antonio Brown living again? <laughs> Tom Brady's house again. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> it's just wild, man. Like, if 2020 could get any weirder, like, I don't know. I mean, we we – Depends on what happens today. Who knows how we, how much weirder it can get. But that aside, um, yeah, just if you would have told me two years ago this is where the Bucks would be right now, I would just have laughed you off the stage, man. It's just absolutely crazy. Hey, just ride the wave. And look, I root for the 49ers. You have to. 274 days ago, they were in the Super Bowl. So a lot can change in less than a year. And the schedule, you know, it's not a cakewalk for the Bucks no. the rest of the year. I mean, they play the Saints, like you said. They've still got to play the Rams, which is not going to be easy. The Chiefs game, which is just going to be, I mean, oh, I Mahomes, Brady, yeah. incredible. I mean, even the Vikings show a little bit of fight there. There's This isn't a cakewalk for Tampa Bay the rest of the way. Right now, if I said you are 11 and 5, would you be satisfied with that? 100%. I had them at 10 and 6 coming into the year. So 11 and 5 would be not only an improvement on that, but it would just show that they are winning the games they need to win. Um, even the Panthers game, that's going to be tough. This is a Panthers team that was hanging in there in the fourth quarter until Leonard Fournette and Carlton Davis come through with a couple big plays. And we've seen the Panthers be able to upset some people. So they definitely have a tough schedule left ahead. But if they finish 11 and five, that's totally fine with me. What is the thing that keeps you up at night with this team? Like they seem to be doing well. They're obviously, you know, like I said, in prime position for the number one seed in the NFC. If there's one sort of fatal flaw, that they have that could lead to their demise? What is it? Mistakes, um, really bad penalties. Obviously, Brady's been a lot better about interceptions, but we saw the Ronald Jones fumble, which still a little questionable on my end. But it's just at this point, it's mistakes and beating themselves. Uh, but if you want to add a little side note, play calling on the offensive side of the ball, um, it's just it has to be more creative. They can't be so predictable. They're they're not talented enough on the offensive line in run blocking to just smash heads every play. They've got to start using more pre-snap motion. Um, they have all the players to do it, but you know that might be a next year thing because even Bruce Arian said before the game he thinks this team will be at its best probably not till next year, and that's kind of been his the way he sells his offense anyways. So, but mistakes, definitely this team beating itself is what keeps me up at night. But like I said, that little extra trigger is a play calling on the offensive side of the ball. Where's your confidence level with the defense? Because I think they're good. I don't think they're as good as Bruce Arians thinks they are. To me, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not saying they're bad by any stretch, but they don't have that one terrifying player that keeps me up at night. Where do you put this defense? I'd say top 10 for sure. I don't know necessarily if they're elite. I think without Vita Vea, they they can't be an elite defense. They just don't have, like you said, that wrecking ball up front. They've got great edge rushers. They've got wrecking balls in a different context in Levante David and Devin White. But 
then this is kind of what I talked about when Vea first went out. Sure, the Bucks are going to get by the first few weeks without Vea and scheming up their pass rushes, their blitzes, all that stuff. But what happens once teams start getting tape on how they're scheming this stuff up? And granted, they had three sacks last night. Probably could have had a couple more if not for Daniel Jones's legs. However, that's going to put a lot of stress, obviously, on the back end. And when you have players making mistakes like Jamel Dean and obviously you're getting more tape on them, then it kind of just creates a lot of questions. And then plus with the offsides penalties, man. I mean, God, Shaq Barrett's talked about it himself. He's even said, you know, hey, it's going to happen basically because I'm trying to get after the passer. But, dude, they just – they have so many issues with neutral zone infractions and, and offside penalties. So I, I would say it's a top 10 defense overall, but they've still got a lot of proof. And ultimately these next three weeks are going to be – or actually next four weeks are going to be a huge, huge test. Yeah, we will find it. The Polaroid is going to develop very quickly in the next uh, few games for the Buccaneers for sure. Evan Winter from BucksNation.com. You can check out all his stuff. Where can we find you on the Twitters? Find me out at Evan underscore Winter. That's all lowercase letters and the underscore in the middle, obviously, and then at Bucks Nation. So that's that's where I'm at. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you, Rob. Well, it finally happened, Brandon. Our deadlock in the Survivor Picks has finally been broken. Because you went out on a huge limb and took the Bucks over the Giants to get the win. You are now 6-2 and two on the year. Congratulations. Thank you. Hey, look, it ended up being a little risky there. I was getting nervous. That's true. It was a lot closer than uh, we thought it was going to be. But a win is a win is a win. So survive in advance for you. You're 6-2. and two. I had the Patriots over the Bills. That was obviously a loss. So that drops me down to 5-3. and three. So you have the honors this week. Where are you going? Uh, I think I'm going to go, I don't think I've taken them yet. We had to really, I had to go back through this and like figure out who we've taken, who we've not. Cause we're getting to that point where I'm, I think I'm forgetting. I don't think I've taken the Steelers yet and it's another chalk pick, but it's the Steelers at the Cowboys with oh. potentially Cooper rush, Come on! <laughs> but here, yeah, but here, look at this though. Stats. I've been on the Steelers all season long before this season. Remember I, I've been super bullish on them this whole way through. So I feel like I've earned the right to, uh, to take them because I've been riding or dying with them this whole time. Uh, so that's my justification for them. They're seven and zero for the second time in franchise history. The last time they started this hot, they beat Dallas in Super Bowl uh, thirteen. So it's only okay, fitting. Well, what does that mean? Hold on, hold. I've seen everybody say that. What does that mean? Like, who cares? Well, it's just it's a precedent. It's a historical. Pre- it guarantees they're going to win the Super Bowl again this year. That's what it means. <laughs> Like people said, oh, the last time they did that. So like that was the key to Pittsburgh. All they got to do is win their first seven and then the Super Bowl is guaranteed. Exactly. It's that simple. You know, the history repeats itself. But uh, but yeah, uh, but no, of course not. But, you know, it's just it's it's a nice little like puts it in context, like how. Oh, OK. It's, it's a nice start for them. Uh, uh, yeah. So 457 yards. That that was the number I mentioned earlier that they gave up, which is a little surprising, you know, because their defense has been pretty good. Do you have that much? Yeah. A, little, a little concerning. Um, but they did come up with four takeaways and then that big fourth down stop late in the game. So they made the big plays when uh, they needed to. Yeah, and you have them number one in your power rankings, rightfully so. The thing that I like so much about Pittsburgh is whatever game you want to play, they can beat you at it. If you want to do a ground and pound game, they have James Conner. They can make that work. If you want to do a shootout, Ben is there. He's looking better and better. They've got a lot of offensive weapons there with Claypool and Juju and Deontay Johnson looks pretty good. Like they can win that kind of game. If it's got to be a defensive struggle, their defense is incredible. No matter what happens in a game, Pittsburgh is prepared for it and can handle it. 
And I always like those teams that have that don't have narrow paths to victory, especially because like, you know, playoff games, weather game, who knows what could happen. But when you're that versatile, I feel like you obviously have a much better chance to win that game. Yeah, I was getting a little nervous there at the time because Ben didn't have his best game and he was and he was like kind of rubbing the elbow and holding on to the <laughs> el- and I was like, oh man, I don't love that. But uh, ultimately, you know, came through, uh, grinded it out. I think they're going to be fine. I think they're still in a really good spot. You know why he's rubbing the elbow. He's rubbing the elbow in case they lose or if he throws a bad pick, <laughs> then he could say that it was really bothering him that he was hurt later. That's a well, Ben staple. That's a veteran quarterback move right there. <laughs> Would that be Brandon Lee Gowden if he was quarterbacking? Uh, no, of course not. No, I, I would, I would take, I would own up to it. I would take full accountability. I never try to, to shirk blame, uh, on a podcast, let alone being an NFL quarterback. So you have Pittsburgh number one, you have Kansas city number two. Look, I know they beat the jets. Obviously they looked really good. Was there any thought to you to put Kansas city ahead of Pittsburgh? Uh, I thought about putting them one, I think even last week. Um, so yeah, I've toyed with it. I mean, Mahomes again, he's like, he's come at, somehow become like underrated again, because like, <laughs> we just, we all know he's so good that like, like we're not really necessarily talking about him as the definitive MVP favorite, even though he has 20 touchdowns to just one interception this year. So, uh, so yeah, I think that it's like one A and one B between Pittsburgh and Kansas city right now. You're right about that. It's sort of, it's so weird how we just like we'd lose our focus sometimes. Like everybody was talking about how Russell Wilson has never gotten a vote for MVP before this year. And that's great and true. And Russ has been doing great. But when you throw 20 touchdowns in one pick, like what else do you have to do to get some more love for MVP? And I don't know. I think if it's close, it's going to go to Russ just because everybody knows that little nugget about him. Yeah. And you're coming off Super Bowl MVP. (laughs) Pretty good. Um, Yeah. You brought up Russ. Uh, I wanted to say, you know, this is why stats here, you know, the Seahawks, I said, you know, all this concern, or maybe not from you necessarily, but from some people maybe uh, around the league last week, oh, they lose to the Cardinals. You know, the Seahawks aren't the number one NFC team. They aren't as good, whatever. The defense is an issue. Uh, Defense had almost held the 49ers here to their lowest, uh, the, the Seahawks lowest opponent scoring output of the season before they allowed that garbage time touchdown at the end oh, Russell Wilson whoa, whoa 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 not garbage time the Seahawks were blitzing they were not sitting back in a prevent defense in that game they were still blitzing still trying to come after Nick Mullins and he destroyed them he put up like 250 passing yards in a quarter it was insane mm. if the Niners make a two-point conversion at the end of that game it's a one-score game like yeah. that's the crazy part of that game the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo was utterly dreadful for the first three quarters is the only reason why the Seahawks defense looked remotely good. My Seahawks will take it, though, with Russell Wilson throwing four touchdowns to zero interceptions, bouncing back and showing that the loss to the Cardinals was more of a blip on the radar than a sign of things to come. Okay. Okay. I mean, if you don't think having the worst defense of statistically through six games of all time is something to worry about, all right, but we will see. Uh, so can I get to my survivor pick now? Is that, uh, yeah, we have to read this. So sorry. Um, well, I like to live dangerously. Like you are conservative. You have the better record for me. It has served you well. Oh, I'm so tempted to take the 49ers on Thursday. Oh man. Would that not be the ultimate, like living dangerously pick of all time to take the 49ers against the Packers after they just got news that Garoppolo's done basically for the year and Kittle's probably done for the year. That would be the pick of picks right there. I thought about it. 
with the you know the 49ers you know, just running it down their throat. It doesn't matter the quarterback there. If they can just run it on the Packers all day, they have a chance. I think I'm going to go Titans over Bears. Okay. And I don't like what I've seen from the Titans these past few weeks at all. Like, I've lost a lot of confidence in them. All the people that were doubting Ryan Tannehill, I feel like have plenty of ammo these past two weeks. But I just, the Bears, they can't do it. I mean, they're terrible. Nick Foles is terrible. I said it last week. He's been worse than Mitchell Trubisky. He's not any good. And I feel like picking against Nick Foles and the Bears is always the safe bet. So even though the Titans haven't looked good, where did you put them in your in your power rankings today? Yeah, I dropped the Titans down to number eight. They were four last week. I think I moved them up a spot last week because they hung in tough against Pittsburgh. You know, like they they made it close at the end. They almost took them to overtime. I didn't want to kill them for that loss, mm-hmm. um, but obviously lost to the Bengals here. Not so good. Uh, so I dropped them out of the top five, which I think is pretty fair. They were down by as much as three possessions in this one. Like that's just not good. I mean, what? We know the Titans like don't necessarily blow teams out, and that's why I really liked, and I took the Bengals plus six in this game going into the game. I thought it would be close, but uh, for them to be down by that much, you know, that's just that's not good. And and really, the Bengals have a poor run defense, and that was why I was nervous about taking the Bengals. It's like Derek Henry should be able to run all over them, um, but that's not exactly how it played out. And uh, things aren't getting easier for the Titans here. Stats coming up. I mean, they have Chicago, but like Foles can get hot in theory. I'm not saying he will, but like that's a possibility. And then you have versus the Colts. That's a tough game at Baltimore. That's a tough game. And then you'll they play uh, the Colts again, this time at home. And obviously those games will probably be pretty key in determining the AFC South leader there. So they have an opportunity to kind of, you know, like buy back some of the goodwill that they've lost over these past couple of weeks. But like things could get ugly. That is crazy. I did not realize the schedule was as tough as it is. I mean, yeah, like they could lose a lot of close games there and end up with a record that's not really good. And and everyone's going to be saying, look, they shouldn't have given Tannehill all that money. He's not that good. But wow, I didn't really. That is tough. I'm I'm like, you're souring me on the Titans now. I I still have to pick them because I said they were going to be my pick. But geez, (laughs) I'm not feeling as good about it as I just did. I think they can bounce back this week. I think, you know, Foles has been playing poorly. I mean, since taking over as a full-time starter, uh, so not counting, you know, the Falcons game he came in, it's two wins, three losses, five touchdowns, six interceptions, and a 78.1 passer rating. And I think that's the story with Nick Foles. That's like he's not a full-time starter. I've always said that. Like, Eagles fans think of this guy, of what he, like, based on how he comes into these games and what he did and think like that can last over this long period of time. It can't like, that's not what, what you're seeing in those small sample sizes doesn't necessarily correlate or translate. It doesn't carry over to mm-hmm. like a, a bigger stretch. And and the bears are seeing that. I've said that the bears are not going to make the playoffs. Here's the bears remaining schedule, Tennessee, Minnesota, green Bay, Detroit, Houston, Minnesota, Jacksonville, green Bay. I'm I feel pretty good that they're going to fall out of this thing. They have losses to the notable losses now to the Saints and the Rams. And those could be big when it comes to tiebreakers. And then you mentioned some other teams who could be in the wild card picture potentially, too. So, yeah, I mean, they could lose this thing on tiebreakers. All right. Let's get to the oddities of the week. There were a couple of weird things. And I know as soon as I saw this happen in the game, I knew that I was going to get a note from you. And that is starting with Rams, the Rams game and the Dolphins. Sean McVay is on the Dolphins 36 yard line and he punts 
what are you doing? What are you doing? Like that is he's such a coward. He's done this time and time again. It was it was most notable, I would say, most on display, you know, when they were going to the Super Bowl. Uh and really, you know, they were conservative. They kick a field goal and like what was it? Goal to go goal to goal to go territory or really close to the goal line. Uh, they should have went for it in that game, the NFC Championship game. And the football gods didn't punish them like they should have for doing that and showing that cowardice. Uh, but that's Sean McVay. He's, it's just, I think there's such a disparity between what people think of Sean McVay in terms of being like this young guy, you know, he likes to like be aggressive and he likes analytics, all this thing. Like that's like the visual interpretation or, or the head cannon that people come up with, but it's not the reality. Like the reality is he's kind of like more of like an old school minded football guy who tries to play it safe. And, uh, yeah. And then the football gods did punish him in this one rightfully. So. Well, can I just play devil's advocate a little? Because it wasn't like it was fourth and one at the 36. It was fourth and 10. So what? Go for it. I mean, they pinned them. They pinned the Dolphins down to the three yard line. I did check that. Yeah, I I did see that. And then the Dolphins fumbled it away. So it ended up working out. But the ethos is bad. Although I will say that if it comes to trusting their defense, like, I still think the decision is wrong, but I get where at least that part comes from because we talked about the Rams defense on last week's episode coming off of Monday Night Football, and that is still very much good. You know, uh, like, you know, the, the Dolphins were scoring here on what, like, fumble, recovery, touchdown, and like punt return, touchdown. Like, they weren't, it wasn't just like the offense, or, you know, the defense was getting lit up all of a sudden by Tua, who did not look very good in his debut statistically. I mean, uh, you know, 12 of 22, 54.5 completion percentage, 93 yards, 93 passing yards in a game in, in 2020. I get it's his first NFL start, but like 93 yards. He had the touchdown, obviously, zero interceptions, 80.3 pass rating, and then he had that uh, strip sack that he lost. So, uh, so yeah, this Rams defense still buy that very much. So we've never really had this discussion on the show, but I can, I can understand Sean McVay saying it's fourth and 10. We're at the 36 yard line against a kid making his first start who hasn't looked good all day. I'm going to punt this one and feel pretty and make the kid go 95 yards or, you know, 90 yards to get a touchdown. And, and I know that, you know, analytically the, basically the general rule is coaches should be more aggressive than they are. But in this specific instance, with these circumstances, I feel like I could understand the move. Yeah, if you want to boil it down to the yes, I mean, there you can make the case. I get it, but I still think he's a coward, and I will stand by that. <laughs> yeah, overall, in general, I, you're right, and like obviously, I'm pretty familiar with the Rams covering the Niners for Niners Nation. He is very conservative, and it's surprising to me because, like you said, you think young guy aggressive, but he and Shanahan are actually both kind of conservative, which is oddly annoying. Another oddity from that game that I loved and that I think it's an oddity, but I also think it's like a real factor is the difference in temperature on the sidelines. On the Dolphins sideline, it was about 80 degrees. On the Rams sideline, the thermometer said 140 degrees. And I don't care what anybody says, that has an effect. Well, how is that even possible? Like, how are people not melting at that temperature? Like, what is, what is, how is that happening? What, what was the disparity there? I wasn't one like I know in the 49ers stadium, one sideline is in the sun completely. And the other one is mm. shaded just by like the architecture of the stadium. Yeah. So I, I'm assuming that's what happened in Miami. But don't they have like the roof? I don't know. This is, it's not, this a, is... It's not a covered roof though. Like there's openings, mm. I guess. Right. 
strange, really weird. And then another oddity coming out of that game because it was Tua's first start. Tua is left-handed, and he is the only left-handed quarterback in the National Football League. And I sent you a little picture. Did you happen to know any of the last four left-handed passes in the NFL before I sent you that picture? I did not off the top of my head. And obviously, this isn't talking full-time starting quarterback left-handed passers, right? Yeah, this is the last five left-handed touchdown passes before Tua's on Sunday. Jarvis Landry this year, (sighs) Kevin Byard, Des Bryant in 2016, and Kellen Moore in 2016. Like, where have all the lefties gone? It's a good question. I remember, uh, as I always bring it back to the Eagles, you know, Michael Vick, that was such a big thing when he took over in Philly. was like, oh, they got they have this left-handed quarterback now. And how and does that make the right tackle, you know, more important now because of the blind side and everything? Uh, so that was a really big thing, I remember, uh, when he was a starter. And the way he threw the ball, uh, now I don't know if this is really to do with it being wet-handed. Maybe it kind of drew more attention to it, but he would just flick it so effortlessly. And, oh. it, and I guess the fact that it was left-handed like made it look even more noticeable because you know you're just not used to seeing that body mechanic as much as you are with you know, as a right-handed passer. So uh, yeah, it's definitely a like something you notice. It's not something that goes by uh, without much regard. It completely weirded me out. Like my brain had to readjust itself because I'm just not used to seeing that. Like he snapped the ball and started running to his left, and I'm like, oh, he's not going to be able to throw it. And then he fires it out there because it's a left-handed quarter. And I was like, how did he? Oh, yeah, that's right. Like my brain could not process it at first. Um, But yeah, he lefties. They're back in the saddle. You know, Jerry Rice, when uh, the Niners made the switch from Young to Montana or from Montana to Young, Young's a lefty. So Jerry Rice demanded that he find a left-handed member of the equipment staff to throw him passes in warmups because he was convinced that the ball was the spin was different coming out of a lefty's hand, so he had to have a left-handed guy throw with him during warm-ups. I like that. And stats, while we're talking about the Dolphins, I just want to bring up real quick. I did move them up five spots, my power hey. rankings, to number 11. Um, might regret that because I feel like, you know, if two is going to play this poorly, they're not really going, like, much of anywhere. But outside of him, you have to like what that team is and what they've done. And, you know, Brian Flores at least certainly right now, belongs in that coach of the year conversation. Like that team plays hard. Um, They're not an easy win. And, you know, it's funny because there was talk before that game on Sunday, like that part of the reason they made the switch to Tua is that they kind of don't want to be as competitive because they want to get these good draft picks. But uh, uh, I think Brian Flores kind of might have other ideas and the players on that team kind of might have other ideas. And I I don't think they're going to win, you know, the AFC East because of Tua. And I just I don't think he's going to be able to to do that. But I mean, if he somehow does get hot, you know, like let's say like Justin Herbert is and kind of exceeds expectation, then I would rule them out. It's funny though. I feel like we keep telling Brian Flores he's supposed to be tanking, and he keeps winning these games. Even last year, they said they were tanking, and then they came on strong at the end of the year. They've played surprisingly well this year. The only problem is they're one and two in the division. They beat the Jets but they've already lost to the Bills and they've already lost to the Patriots. So that's not going to do them any favors, but I, I think two is going to get better. I mean, he, I mean, if he doesn't improve from what we saw on Sunday. They're in trouble, but I think he's going to get better. Do you think it's possible at all that the Dolphins threw to it in there to see what they've got this year? Because if he doesn't blow them away, like a Burrow or a Herbert, that they could use a high pick, which they're going to have to draft a quarterback. 
I really think that is possible just based on like what they've done, like the, and how they're operating. I don't, I don't think what the dolphins have done is like a traditional team. Like they're not operating like, all right, we got our quarterback and that's it. And we're locked in and that's the guy. Like they're uh, an organization that kind of reminds me of like what the Sixers were doing in terms of like tanking and try to maximize your uh, optionality and, you know, do whatever it takes like to get the best player and the superstar. And yeah, I think, you know, especially if he does kind of, I mean, yeah, I don't think he's going to look this bad every week. And again, I said the, the Rams defense is good. So that was part of it. And it's first NFL start. You know, you can all factor those things in here. But if it's kind of just not super impressive. Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, because you can even still start to next year. And if he shows he's not the guy, then you make the switch. And I feel like the Cardinals gave everybody cover now that wants to do it, right? They had Rosen. They had just spent yep. a high pick on him. They dumped him for Kyler Murray. It has been 1,000% the right decision. No one's even – we don't even remember that anymore. Like, they open the door now. So I feel like if other teams want to do it, they have the cover. Like, uh, what John Henry said in Moneyball, the first guy through the wall always gets bloody. Well, you ain't getting bloody if you go through that wall this time. So maybe they do do it. I Man, as a fan, I would like to see them give Tua a little more time than eight games, but mm -hmm. maybe that's all you get now in today's NFL. I don't know. And then even Washington with Haskins too. Obviously, you know we'll see what they end up doing after the season, but they sure were not were not uh, reluctant to move on from him quick. Yeah, and you know what? I'm he hasn't blown me away, but like he also hasn't been in the, you know a really particularly good situation. He's played for multiple head coaches already there. The that Washington team is one of the least stable franchises in the NFL. I'm not totally willing to say that that Haskins is a bust. I, I don't. I am. <laughs> He's you, bad. You're, I mean, how many games has he played in his career? Mm, it doesn't matter. He's really bad. I just I see. I, I've said it from the jump with him. I've just I've seen Mitchell Trubisky in him, and those are actually very comparable profiles in terms of being like these one year starters in college and not having that super elite production. Um, but but we don't have to get into a whole Haskins thing. I just wanted to say, like, in, in the vein of you, you're seeing teams now more than ever, I think, make that – like, if if he's not the guy, then we're just going to move on. Like, we'll give him a little bit of a chance, but we're not going to totally just go with the sunk uh, cost asset uh, fallacy here. And I generally support that. I like teams, you know, being smart about things, but I don't know if – he has 11 starts in his career. I'm in a weird situation with multiple head coach – I don't know. We'll see on Haskins, but I get your point generally that, you know, the clock is ticking for these guys, especially because if it's quarterback, you want him when he's cheap. You want him on that rookie deal so you can build the team up around him. Before we go, is there any other team that you feel like we would be doing an injustice if we didn't mention today? Uh, I guess we didn't talk about the Eagles other than just, you know, them not making a move at the trade deadline. Uh, and I, I just wanted to bring up that stats, like only a team uh, that or only this Eagles team can like win by 14 points and still like feel like a loss. Like that, that was terrible. The game on Sunday night was awful. I haven't even been able to like process this game fully as I wanted to and like write about it for bleedinggreennation.com. Like this team is exhausting stats. I feel like I've aged 30 years just this season alone. Like it's just, it's not fun. Like when your team wins again like by 14 points against a divisional rival, you would think that game is enjoyable to some extent. It was not at all because the <laughs> offense is terrible. They put up 15 offensive points against an NFL worst defense, historically NFL worst defense, that's surrendering 33 offensive points per game. Carson Wentz turns the ball over four times against a defense that had three takeaways 
in the previous games. Like this, it's so pathetic. The NFL is all about offense now. And I say a ton on this show and the Eagles somehow have not figured that out. And it's deeply concerning about the state of the franchise. I thought Carson Wentz should have been benched in that game. Not like benched as in never he comes back in, but like the way Donovan McNabb got benched in 2008 for Kevin Cobb when the Eagles were playing the Ravens and Andy Reid, you know, hooked Donovan McNabb, but then he put him back in the next week and then he played great. I think Carson Wentz could maybe benefit from that, or at least I'd like to see his response to a benching and see if that's a wake-up call for him um, within a game. Again, not like going into a game and hurt starting uh, different dynamic there. So yeah, they're just frustrating. And uh, I don't want to even talk about them ever again. <laughs> All right. Well, real quick, I just real quick, putting the money aside, because obviously that that muddies the waters. If a team like the 49ers had the 15th overall pick in the draft next year and we said, we'll trade it to you for Wentz straight up, would you do it right now? Yeah. And I just I will note, yeah, the money makes it impossible because it's like 33.5 or something if you trade him in dead money. So it's not going to happen. But um, you're saying 15 for him? Yeah, just in that range. I don't think I'm there yet because I, I want to see them like tweak the coaching staff first. They, they've kept the same quarterback coach that they've had since like after the Super Bowl now. And I think that's been a, I've been saying year after year. Why? Because we're not seeing Carson Wentz get better. We're just seeing him get worse and worse. So why do you think this quarterback coach is getting it done? And I don't want to put it all on Press Taylor, the Eagles quarterback coach, because obviously Carson Wentz deserves a lot of culpability and blame here too. But like maybe improve the coaching staff. Maybe don't have to rely on getting a guy off the practice squad and Travis Fulgham and him now leading the league in receiving yards since he got caught up in week That's four, insane. which is, yeah, it's insane. Like the, the Eagles – have failed Carson Wentz in a lot of ways. Not to the point where Carson Wentz is blameless, but it's kind of been in both scenarios where like the Eagles have failed him and he's also failed them. Okay. I just wanted to take your temperature on that just to see where you're feeling. Yeah, you're right. When you're in first place in your division, it's supposed to be fun, but no fun this year for Eagles fans. We hope you had fun here on this edition of the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We love hearing from you. We love all the ratings that have come in so far. We really appreciate it. Building this thing up here as the season goes along. Enjoy the games this week, and we'll be back next week. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.